Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, my name is Christopher. I am the executive minister at Area 10, and I am super uh, glad to be with you. Thank you for braving the weather. Um, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, the freshman, or the summer after my freshman year of college, I went home to visit my family in Southern California, and as I was getting ready to board the plane to go back to the Midwest, I started to feel just really nervous and like really anxious. And something I don't really talk about a lot, because a lot of people don't necessarily talk about a lot, is, is anxiety. And I come by anxiety pretty honestly in my family. The Italian and Welsh sides of my family have just an incredible knack for thinking of the worst possible scenario and then thinking of all the other things that you can't control while you're thinking about that worst case scenario. I also, though, have an Irish side of me, which is like, hey, whatever happens, happens. It's slightly inappropriate. It's loud. It's a good time guy. My Irish side was sleeping one off that day. Before I even got to the seat on my plane, I had convinced myself that the plane was going to crash and I was going to die. Now, anxiety is something I think all of us kind of deal with in, in one way, shape, or form. And some of us deal with it pretty, pretty deeply. And so for those that don't necessarily really experience anxiety or fear in that way, let me give you some insight just into the three-ring circus that is my mind when fear and anxiety takes hold in that way. That first hour of the plane ride, my mind was, was a pinball machine. And, and that ball was bouncing back and forth between how is the plane going to crash? Is the engine going to explode? Is the roof going to peel off like that Hawaiian's airline air disaster that happened in the 80s? Was it going to be a terrorist attack? Maybe the pilot gets food poisoning for eating the fish. I don't know, but something is going to happen. But then I'm also thinking, how can I MacGyver something out of my surroundings to basically make a full body like protective suit. So when it happens, maybe I'll survive. But also then thinking, well, when it happens, I at least hope it's by the Grand Canyon so I could finally see it before I die. Now that's just the first hour. Then we get to the second hour and I start to think of my entire life. And I think of the good times and the bad times, the mistakes, the funny things. And I start to think of my family and my friends. And then I stupidly start to look at the faces around me and I go, oh, I wonder what their backstories are. I wonder who their family is. I wonder what impact this is going to have on their families for generations to come because of this tragedy that I know is going to happen. Then I get to the third hour, and by this point, I'm starting to come to a place of acceptance. Not that I'm going to be okay, but that I'm going to die. And so you do what comes naturally, right? You write a note. And so I got out a piece of paper, and I start writing a note to my family and friends, just telling them, you know, what I hope they remember about me and the things that, that let them know that I love them and all those kinds of things. And I fold it up and I put it in a Ziploc bag that I had my granola bar in and I put it in my right pocket. Not my left pocket, mind you, because I'm in a window seat and I know when that engine explodes, the left side of my body is going to look like toasted marshmallow. The right side of my body, though, I'm a big guy, there's insulation, so it's going to protect it. So when they inevitably find my charred body, the note's going to be okay. I think I should listen to some music, so I get my disc man. Yes, I'm that old. And I put in a CD, some horrible Christian CD that someone gave me, and I couldn't find any songs except this one song about doves carrying people to Jesus. Who writes a song like that? It was a terrible song to listen to. So of course I put it on repeat as all these thoughts are swirling through my head. And then the pilot says, we're making our initial descent. And I immediately remember most plane crashes happen during takeoff 
or landing, and I get pissed. And I'm like, why is it got to happen at the end? Why couldn't it have happened at the beginning of the flight when we pulled out of LAX and banked over the Pacific Ocean? At least I could have finally seen if my seat works as a flotation device. But no, I'm going to die in freaking Oklahoma. We hit the tarmac. I brace myself. We pull into the gate, and the captain says, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tulsa. Thank you for flying Delta. <sighs> and just like that, my Irish side wakes up. Walk off the plane, get my bags, get in my truck, put in an Aerosmith CD, proceed to drive 90 miles an hour down the Will Rogers Turnpike in Oklahoma to Joplin, Missouri, without a care in the world. Anxiety and fear are just one of those weird things. And not once during that entire experience did I ever think to pray. Not once. And I think there's two big reasons for that. The first is, um, when you have that much anxiety and fear in that moment, rational thought just doesn't exist. You want it to so badly, um, and, and you might see a glimpse of it here and there, but then you just see everything else instead, and it just passes you by so quickly. But the other reason is because prayer just really wasn't a part of my life at that point. I'd only been a Christian for about a year, maybe a year and a half. I hadn't really dug into what it meant to have a, a prayer-filled life and developing that spiritual rhythm, and so I never even thought to pray. Well, now it's 21 years later. I don't have a disc man, thankfully. Um, I don't even know if they still make those. I'd like to think I'm a little bit more mature, that I've learned a few things. I've had lots of years of counseling, which I am so grateful for because it's helped me unpack just a lot of different stuff. Um, but through those 21 years, I've, I've really tried to intentionally cultivate a rhythm and a discipline of prayer in my life. And so that's what I want to talk about. I just want to talk about prayer. Because in, in a sea of crazy, prayer will be one of those things that helps you keep your sanity. And if you don't remember anything this morning, I, I just want you to remember this. Pray first. Because there's going to be a lot of other things that come at you. And just remember to pray first. Because prayer, prayer is an opportunity to cultivate a relationship with the most important relationship in your life. At least it should be. Prayer is where wounds are healed, where courage is given, where hope and purpose are found where we get to experience things that we would have never expected to experience before. I love the way E.M. Bounds says it. He says, Prayer should not be regarded as a duty, which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. And so this morning, what I want to do is just kind of give us a prayer 101. Um, there are so many different aspects of prayer that we could, we could try and dig into. We could do sermon upon sermons. There's whole books written about it. So I really just want to give us kind of a prayer 101. And I, and I want us to take a look at four questions that I think we all ask, have asked, or will ask. And the first question is, why don't we pray? I think if I asked you, uh, make a list of all the reasons you don't pray. Your list is probably going to be 5, 10, maybe 15 reasons long. Mine was. I've asked this question to quite a few people over the last week and a half, and I've kind of compiled um, a lot of the, the bigger reasons, and I want to focus on three of the reasons that I heard most often. The first is, I don't think we pray 
because we don't believe it'll make any difference. And now this makes sense, right? Like if, you, if you're new to Christianity and you're like, I don't, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I believe there is a God. I, I'm agnostic at best. Like this, this makes sense for you. Like why are you going to pray if you don't even fully know what you believe yet? That makes sense. But I think there's a lot of us who um, have experienced disappointment. And we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. And it just doesn't seem like God's answering our prayer. And it's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't believe in Jesus. It's just that we've come to this space where we think, well, maybe, maybe prayer just doesn't make a difference at all. If you read my journals and some of the, the darker moments of my life, you would see things like that where I write, God, I've been praying for this. I've been praying for this. I've been asking you. Tell me to seek and ask and present my request to you, and I'm doing that, and you're not listening to me. You're not answering my prayers. And the thing that I have learned that is, oh, such a hard lesson to learn is that it's oftentimes not that God's not answering my prayer. It's just he's not answering it the way that I want him to. And that's hard. It's hard to be in that place where you are going to God with everything you are. And his response to you is no. Or it's something different than you expect. I think this is a pretty deep reason for many of us as to why we sometimes don't pray. We just don't believe it'll make any difference. I think another reason is because we don't think that we're worth God's time. And I need you to really hear me on this. If that is a thought in your mind, you need to know that that grieves the heart of God. If you look at the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, what we see time and time again is that God loves you, that he values you, that you have worth Jesus took on the sins of humanity and died for humanity and had victory over death because we are worth God's time. But I get it. I get how easy shame wraps itself up around us because we've made mistakes, because we're hurt, because we feel broken, because someone has said something to us that we've begun to believe and, and shame just cocoons us and we, we end up hearing the lies of Satan from the pits of hell more than the truth that God loves you and that you are worth his time. But I think the biggest reason that many of us don't pray or stop praying is that we're hurt. We have just a lot of disappointment in God. And then sometimes I, I think that we're afraid to be honest with that. I think we're afraid to say, no, I am mad. I am mad because you told me no. Or I'm, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm upset because I see the world around me <laughs> and I don't know how to reconcile that. 
And it causes this dissonance in me, and so I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, and I'm disappointed, and I'm frustrated. Or you've experienced such deep pain and trauma at the hands of other people. And how often is the question, how could a good God let this happen to me? It's hard to enter into a conversation about prayer if we're unwilling to be honest with the reasons that we don't pray. And I don't know why we're afraid to be honest with the reasons we don't pray. I don't know if it's because we're afraid people will judge us, especially if, if you are a Christian and you go to church and, and, and someone says, hey, how you doing? How's your prayer life? What's going on? Are you reading scripture? It feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable if you say, honestly, I haven't prayed in a while because I'm, I'm really ticked off at God and I'm hurt and I don't know what to do. We don't want to be that person, so we just keep it to ourselves and we live in isolation and we're never meant to live in isolation. There comes a point in time when we need to be willing to be authentic and vulnerable with ourselves, with God and with each other about the reasons we don't pray. There are lots of reasons we could come up with why we don't pray, but why should we pray? What are the reasons that we should pray? I mean, first and foremost, I think because... God tells us to. He invites us to. Throughout the whole of Scripture, time and time again, we see God inviting people into his presence, inviting people into communion with him, to celebrate life with him, to navigate this life with him. He tells us, pray, come to me and pray, come to me and talk to me. In the book of Matthew, we see Jesus teach us how to pray, the Lord's Prayer that a lot of us have heard before, but we also see him tell us to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And then in Colossians, we see, we're told repeatedly to devote yourselves to prayer. Throughout the Old Testament, we see constantly this idea of bringing your prayers and petitions and requests to God to not lose heart. Paul, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament of the Bible, urges the church in almost every one of his letters— Every one of his letters, to pray always and draw close to God. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus sets the example for us. At Area 10, this is one of the things we talk about all the time. We want to keep Jesus the main thing. It's really easy to put everything else above Jesus. We really strive to make Jesus the main thing at this church. And the whole idea of discipleship, the whole idea of following Jesus is that we are looking to his example. What are the things that Jesus did to draw close to God? What are the things that Jesus did that changed not only his life, but the community's life around him? And what you see throughout Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books in the New Testament, is a life dedicated to prayer. Prayers in the moment, dedicated prayers. Getting away from everything just to focus on prayer. Beyond that, though, we see so many benefits to prayer throughout Scripture, throughout church history, throughout church orthodoxy. Prayer teaches us to slow down and listen. Let's be honest. We are all moving at 100 miles an hour, right? We just have one obligation after another. We have work and jobs and families and sports and games and trying to rest and trying to relax and trying to do all these things, and we're constantly moving, we're constantly going, we're constantly adding, and we're exhausted, and we're lonely, and we're anxious, and we're depressed, and every statistic over the last 20 years continues to say the same thing. The busier we have gotten, the faster we are moving, the more exhausted we are. Prayer, the type of prayer that we see throughout Scripture, 
allows you to create a space, to dedicate a space, to just sit with God, to give yourself a chance to just breathe, to set your course, to rest and reset. Prayer also takes us from being internally focused to externally focused. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 18. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Part of the crazy that I think exists in our world that oftentimes we will also buy into is that we are the kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. We logically know that the world doesn't revolve around us, but we like to act sometimes like the world revolves around us. We live in a culture that tells us that our wants and our needs and our truth is the most important thing. And anything other than that is wrong, is incorrect. And so it's really easy to buy into the fact that 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 belief that our time, that our beliefs, that our freedoms, that our way of life is more important than anyone else's. When you set time aside to commune with God, when you are intentional to have contemplative prayer with God, you draw close to him. And in that process, humility begins to naturally take place because you realize this life isn't all about you. And you begin to have your eyes opened up to the world around you, to the needs around you, to the goodness as well as the brokenness, in the places in which you can celebrate and in the places where people need your help, where they need someone to just come alongside them and be the hands and feet of Christ, which we can't do if we're just focused on ourselves. Because if we're honest, we treat God like a cosmic vending machine, don't we? We go to him and we punch in the buttons and we say, I want this. Or he's the genie in the lamp and our prayer is us rubbing the lamp and go, okay, now I want my three wishes. And that's not the way it is. That's not the way we see it in scripture. One of the things that uh, we don't often talk about, I think enough, is the reality of Satan, hell, and demonic forces in our lives and in our world. And in turn, we don't talk nearly enough about God's power. And that's a big thing that prayer does for us, is it shows us God's power. And I want to be real careful with this, because there's a lot of health and wealth, prosperity gospel out there that says, oh, if you believe in God and you pray, guess what? You're going to drive an Escalade tomorrow. Your life is going to be perfect. You're going to be rich beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have as many well-behaved children in the world as you want to do. You're never going to be lonely. You're never going to be anxious. You're never going to be sad. It's just smooth sailing, and that is such bull, and that's not true. It's bad languages. It's bad theology. It's bad interpretation of Scripture. A lot of us may have heard um, about the armor of God before. Maybe you grew up in church or maybe you've been to a lesson or a sermon or anything like that. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then Paul goes on to talk about the beautiful metaphors of the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of truth and all these kinds of things. And then oftentimes that's where we leave it. We'll have these sermons or these lessons and we'll talk about put on the armor of God, be prepared because there's always going to be these daily battles. And then we do an injustice to the rest of what Paul is trying to say because then it says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and requests. We focus so much of our time on the preparation. We focus so much time and energy on the battles that we face that we miss the point that prayer is the very thing that is going to give us the energy to get through those battles. Because the power of God is not about making your life or my life easier. The power of God speaks to the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God. It allows us to endure difficult situations. It allows us to keep our sanity in a world full of crazy. It allows us to keep humility, understanding our place to love people well, to not other people and go, I'm better than you. I know more than you, so I'm better than you, and you mean nothing. The power of God, listen, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've been baptized, you've surrendered your life, understand that not only does prayer expose you to the power of God, but it reminds you that the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. That's not nothing. But we miss it. Because honestly, most of us don't pray. We just, we just don't. We'll say we'll pray. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll pray for you. And that saying of us praying ends up being our prayer. When we lean into prayer, understand it changes our perspective. I think one of the hardest lessons that I am continually learning is that God's will is more important than my own. And that's, that's not an easy lesson to learn. It's really easy to see our current circumstances as the end all to be all. And we've all heard the million and one analogies of, oh, it's just a small part of the picture and how frustrating that sounds because it's not that we don't know that our lives are just a small part of the picture, but it doesn't make us feel any better in that moment. That's not unique to us. Again, throughout the scripture, we see that same thing come into play. And even in Jesus' own life, Matthew 26, 39, as Jesus is in the garden praying before he knows he's going to be judged and crucified, he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to do this. Jesus knew what was to come. He knew what his purpose was. I don't want to do this, God. Throughout the entire night, he just kept praying, let this cup pass from me. There's got to be another way. I don't want to do this. But he always ended it with, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours. Prayer reminds us of one of the most radical paradigm shifts any of us will ever make. And it's simply that God is God and we aren't. And that's something that our culture just doesn't agree with. And then finally, and most importantly, I think uh, the most consistent thing we see through Scripture is that prayer deepens our relationship with God. For any relationship to grow 
deepen and mature, time and energy must be given. Think of any of the relationships in your life. The best relationships you have in your life are the ones that you've given time and energy to. Why would God be any different? I love the way Philip Yancey says it. The main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier, nor to gain magical powers, but simply to know God. We have lots of reasons why we don't pray. There are lots of reasons we didn't even talk about for reasons to pray. But what do we pray? This is a question I actually hear as a minister pretty often. Topher, what am I supposed to pray? Like, what does that even look like? And I think it's, I think it's a legitimate question. Like, it's, especially if you're new or you've gone through some stuff, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. So there are five primary types of prayer that we see through Scripture. And I say primary because there's, again, not an exhaustive list. This is just kind of an overview. But there's five primary types of prayers we see throughout the Bible. The first is praise and adoration. We see prayers where people are just like, God, you are so good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The songs that generally we sing on Sunday mornings, these worship songs are worship songs that you might listen to in your car. Those are prayers of adoration. They're just set to music. I raise a hallelujah. It's a proclamation of praise towards God. That's a great place to start when you go, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. Praise and adoration. Another thing we see throughout scriptures are prayers of gratitude. God, thank you so much for delivering us from Pharaoh. God, thank you for rebuilding the kingdom. God, thank you for your provision. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for the changing of seasons that remind us that one season never lasts forever. We see prayers of gratitude continually in Scripture. Need a place to start when you pray? Just say thank you. What are you thankful for? We see prayers of intercession and intercession and request. And intercession is just a fancy word for on going on behalf of someone and praying. So we've got those prayers of request. God, I need your help. I need a job. Lord, help me find a job. Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. Lord, I've struggled with this addiction my entire life. I can't do this on my own. Remind me of your power. Surround me with people who know and love you to walk with me in this area of my life. God, I come before you and plead with you to heal Kim's body from cancer. God, we just want her to be a testimony of your grace. But if that's not your will, God, draw her close to you. Help her to know that she's loved. And may the people around her usher her into this next part of her life with joy and wonder. God, I pray for Stephen, who struggles so deeply with depression. And so often it just seems like the dark is taking over his whole life. God, I pray God, I pray that you give him light. Connect him with a good counselor, with good people to help him walk through these areas. Surround him with people to be light in a dark place. Let him know that even in the darkest times that he is not alone. We see those kinds of prayers of request and intercession. And then we have another type of prayer that is another one of those things that we don't often talk about. And that's prayers of grievance. Prayers of complaint. I don't know why people are like, I can't complain to God. Why? I complain to God all the time. I don't know if it's like 
like, I, especially if you come from a Catholic background, and this not, isn't knocking Catholics, um, like, they, they lean really heavy on the reverence of God, which is, you absolutely should revere God. But I think there's this weird line that we go, oh, we can't, I can't say I'm mad or I'm angry or I'm frustrated because it's God. What if he smotes me, smites me, smotes me? I don't know the correct verbiage, whatever. We don't, we don't do that. And yet, <laughs> you read through scripture, and there's time and time again where people are just whiny to God. And again, think of your closest relationship. Think of your best friend. There are going to be times when you're praising your best friend, when you're showing gratitude for your best friend, when you're asking your best friend, hey, man, I know I just moved six months ago, but can I use your truck again? I found a new place to move, and I'm going to give you crappy pizza and crappy beer, but please, like, you do those things with your friends, right? And then what else? Man, I just need to talk to you. Do you know what happened at work today? I am so ticked. I don't even know how to process this. And you just need someone to listen to you complain. And sometimes you're angry at that person. I can't believe you did that. That wasn't your story to tell. And isn't that how we grow in our relationships? Isn't that how we nurture our relationships is when we bring all of us? When it's not just the, hey, I love you and you're great. I'm so thankful for you. Can you do this for me? And yes, I'm absolutely going to help you with this. But you ticked me off. And this is why. And you work to resolve it together and move on. And the relationship is strengthened. That's how trust is built. I love the Psalms so much. The Psalms just get me. I feel really seen when I read the Psalms. Um, Because on one hand, the Psalms are like, oh, God, you are so good. Your stars are like a magnificent portrait of beauty in the sky, reminding me of my significance in your world. Your grace is sufficient for me. It's so good. Oh, Lord, please help these people. And then the next chapter, it's like, what are you doing to me? I'm going to cover myself in sackcloth and ashes, and I'm going to moan and groan. My life is meaningless. I hate you. I hate me. I hate the world around me. Destroy my enemies. No, destroy me. And it's just like, what is happening By the way, have you ever want to know what's going on in my mind? It's that. It's vacillating back and forth between those two things. But I think that's a lot of us. If you want to know where to start with prayers, Psalms is a great place to start. And I promise you, you're going to feel seen when you read Psalms. It is okay to present all of yourself to God, to share your grievances, to share your complaints, to share your frustrations. And then finally, we see prayers of surrender and confession. God, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my family, my friends, my community, my church. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've hurt people. God, forgive me and give me the courage to seek forgiveness from those that I have wronged. God, I surrender my life to you. I may not understand you, I don't know all the ins and outs of what it means to follow you, but I can't deny this pull on my soul any longer. I surrender all of me to you. God, thank you for a new day, I surrender it to you. God, I surrender my family to you, I surrender my future to you. These are all types of prayers that we see throughout scripture. And so when you're wondering, what, what do I pray? Any one of those is good to pray. But I love the way that Matt Chandler kind of sums it up. He says, just pray what you've got. Just pray what you've got. Don't know what to say? It's perfectly okay to say, God, I don't know what to say. 
Are you just in a bad mood and you just need someone to listen? It's okay to say, God, today sucks. And I'm mad and I'm angry and I just need you to listen. Just pray what you've got. And the last question I want to kind of look at is where and when should we pray? And I want to look at this uh, with two different sides. Because we have the one type of prayer that is really the unexpected and the impulsive prayers. It's the kind of prayers where you're driving and someone cuts you off and you go, Ooh, Lord, I'm going to need you to help them because otherwise they're going to have to deal with me and no one wants that. We're going to have a road rage incident, right? Or it's you get a phone call and you find out someone you love is sick and you immediately, when you get off the phone, you pray for them. Or maybe when you're hiking. You know, it's not always a, a negative thing. Maybe it's when you're hiking and you come across this beautiful meadow and there's a brook and it looks like an Ansel Adams portrait and it's just stunning and you just go, oh my gosh, God, you are amazing. Thank you for allowing me to witness this. Those impulsive prayers, those unexpected prayers are not bad. Um, they're just naturally reactionary. They're reacting to an outside stimuli. Generally speaking, that is most of our prayer lives. That's most people's prayer lives. We react to what's going on around us, good or bad. Those aren't bad prayers. Those just can't be your only prayers. If your entire life is just built upon reacting to the things around you, you are never going to be able to rest in the peace that passes understanding that comes with being connected to God because you're just constantly reacting. Those are good prayers. Those are not bad prayers. But the other type of prayer the intentional, the contemplative type of prayer. We see that so strongly in Scripture. The type of prayer that sets aside a place and a time to just be with God, to dig into his word, to listen, to pray, to lament, to argue. Jesus, before he taught the Lord's Prayer, he says this in Matthew 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. The reward being, they got exactly what they wanted. They wanted to look like good followers of God. They wanted people to see them and go, oh, they must be Christian. We all know who those people are in our world right now. Let's wave the Christian flag, but everything about our life says something different. Jesus goes on to say, but when you pray, go into your room Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's not about being able to deliver some Shakespearean soliloquy and impress people with your words when you pray. It's about carving out time intentionally and consistently to just spend time with God. To just be. To slow down and to cultivate that. Several years ago, my daughter was going to visit my family in California. And it was a trip that my wife or I weren't going to be able to go on as well. And so we made the decision to let her fly by herself for the first time. And the night before her flight, I was a wreck. Couldn't sleep. I feel all of my nervousness in my gut. Like it's, it was just, it was horrible. Because I was right back on that plane 21 years ago where I was just thinking of the worst possible scenarios, um, the impacts, 
And, and I just was all kind of knotted up. And the next morning, what made it worse is that I wasn't going to be able to take her to the airport. Because uh, somehow in my brain, what I rationalized was if I take her in, to the airport, then I'm in control and everything is going to be okay, which makes no sense. I understand this, but this is what anxiety does to people. But I couldn't do that because I had to drive with five other general managers to um, St. Louis, Missouri for a company conference. And I got to the van, and normally I would drive because control freak. And I said, no, I don't want to drive. And everyone can see that I was pretty, like, just off from my normal personality. And one of the GMs, she goes, hey, what's, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And I told her, I was like, I'm just, I'm all up in my head right now. I'm really nervous. Um, you know, my daughter is flying for the first time, and I just, I keep thinking of the worst possible scenarios. And she goes, oh, did you pray? And I was like, no. <laughs> Mind you, she's not a Christian, <laughs> She's not someone who follows Christ. She was agnostic. She believes a God exists. And then she goes, isn't that, she goes, I don't mean to be rude, but isn't that something you're supposed to do? I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and so I got in the back of the van and I prayed for three and a half hours. Um, only about four or five of which were for my daughter's flight. The rest of it, I just, I snapped back into the habit that I had already cultivated of praying for different people, of listening, of reading scripture, of listening to worship music and praying through those songs. And I was reminded in that moment to just pray first. And that's a hard thing to remember sometimes in the moment, but to pray first. Like what would it look like if you set time aside every day to build that habit? So when those crazy moments of your life come, and it feels like you're in a sea of crazy and you're drowning, you realize that prayer is able to be a life raft for you. It's not that it makes the storm go away, but you know that you're going to get through it because you're not alone. And so I want to challenge you to pray first, and I want to do this in a couple different ways. We are going to take communion here in a moment, and we're going to invite you to stand up and come down the aisles and, and take communion. And we take communion every week at Area 10 because we don't ever want to forget the sacrifice that Christ made for us. We don't ever want to forget that Jesus took on the sins of humanity, that he died, that he had victory over death because we are worth God's time. Because we have value and God sees us. He sees us in a broken world and he knows, he knows that we can't do this on our own. That when we're overwhelmed, that when we're scared, when we're anxious, that when we're depressed, that when we're fearful, when things are great and it doesn't seem like we need anything in the world, that he is still that constant there for us and with us. And so when you come up to take communion, we also have these little cards made that say pray first. And I'm going to ask you to take two or three of these. And I want you to put these in places that will remind you. And I don't know where that will be for you. For me, one is going in my bathroom on my mirror. Because my bathroom, as weird as this sounds, is my prayer closet. The girls aren't allowed in there. It's great. It's like my own little clubhouse. Like that is where I pray. It's wonderful. So I'm going to put one there so that the first thing in the morning, as soon as I get in there, the first thing I see is, hey, Christopher, pray first. Take time to sit and listen and be with God and pray 
first. Stand, kneel, sing, whatever. I'm going to put it in my car because I'm a very angry driver. (laughs) And most other drivers are my enemy. And God says to pray for my enemies. So I'm going to put one in my truck where I can see this so that when someone cuts me off, instead of wanting to chase them down with my truck, I'm going to go, no, Jesus says to pray for my enemies. That person just became my enemy. I'm going to pray for them instead. And then I even, I already did this. I put one in my wallet right there. So that every time I open my wallet to spend money, I just want to take a moment and pray and ask God, is this, is this worth what you've entrusted me with? I want to be a good steward with everything I have. I don't know where you need to put it. Maybe you need to put it on your kid's backpack. Maybe you need to put it on your liquor cabinet or on your pantry, cookie jar. Maybe at your locker or in your main binder for school. I don't know. Where are the places that you most need to be reminded to pray first? And then beyond that, we wanted to go a little step further. So Rachel made digital versions of this as well. And they will be available on our social media pages starting after church, where you can set it as your lock screen on your phone. Because I know a lot of us, the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is not go, hmm, I think I'm going to pray right now. It's no, what happened? And we scroll. So being able to have it on your lock screen, that before you even open that phone, to be reminded to pray first. Or maybe you need to put it on your laptop or your desktop. Because when you work, you know that you're not always the example that you need to be. Or maybe your technology is the thing that leads you to sin the most. I don't know where you need to be reminded. I just want to remind you. I just want to remind you to pray first. In all of those moments of your life, just Pray first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your sacrifice. And I don't ever want to forget the meaning of that. God, I thank you that you love us, that you are with us and for us, not against us. God, I thank you that you're big enough to take our complaints and our frustrations and our fears and our angers and our doubts. God, that you are still constant even when we think prayer may not make a difference or even when we're hurt and disappointed with you or even when we've allowed shame to encapsulate us. Lord, I pray before you now asking your Holy Spirit to guard our hearts, to guard this church, to guard the lives of those people who are watching at home now or in the future. God, protect us from Satan. Protect us from the demonic influences in this world. Help us be focused on you and remind us continually to pray first, to build that habit, to build that rhythm in our lives, God. I know without a shadow of a doubt that in a sea of crazy, prayer is our life raft. It's our life vest. It is the thing that keeps us tethered to you. God, thank you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. At this time, feel free to come up for communion.